You're listening to the Ferrandose Show on KCAA Radio, 106.5 FM, 10.50 AM in the Inland Empire. Also streaming from the KCAARadar.com website, MBR Radio, TuneIn Radio, Pandora, Google Play, Blog Talk Radio, iHeart Radio, Podcast, Stitcher, Amazon Radio, just to list a few. Oh yeah, and the streaming videos are located at Tiki Live or Rumble under the Ferrandose Show. Catch us live or catch us on the archives at Ferran Dozier Show. Shout us out what's to count. Visit FerranD.com for more information. All right, good morning. Welcome to the Frondosia Show right here on MBR Network. Uh, this is my second episode, so I'm uh, you know, glad to be here to be able to share with you uh, what's going on in the world today around just veteran conversations. Uh, but mainly today, I'm just going to uh, do part two of uh, introducing myself to the network. Uh, if you need to catch the previous episode of uh, part one, you can go to the NBR Radio uh, US Network um, website, the app, and you can catch or uh, the audio or the video, either way. Uh, but again, today I just wanted to uh, kind of reintroduce myself, share who I am. So as you begin to listen to me um, and have ideas of wanting to be a guest or have topics that you want to talk about, uh, you can feel free to reach out to me. I'm 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 easygoing, kind of laid back, pretty decent, nice guy, I believe, and um, just want to you know be able to talk to my veterans. I actually got into radio truly because of wanting to stay connected to my my veteran community when I retired out of the military uh, now ten years ago, and so this has been a a, a passion, uh, a love. Uh, being able to connect with people. Uh, one of the things I shared is that, you know, a lot of times as veterans, we don't think that civilians understand us. And sometimes we label one another. And so I'm here to disappear that conversation around how we are related as human beings, right? And if you really are willing to take a look and, and set aside your opinions about who you are, maybe you could get connected to other people. And so today I'm going to share with you about my uh, belief systems. And I just want to know, you know, put, pose a question to you as you listen to this. Where did you develop your belief systems from? You know, a lot of times we get it from TV, movies, our family, our environment. Uh, sometimes it's a lot of trial and error. Uh, you know, so I, my question to you is, where did you get your belief system from? And, and why do you believe it? Like, have you questioned it lately? Uh, I had to question my belief system about 13 years ago, and I realized that 
the first 40 years of my life just really wasn't what I thought. And as I got older, as I got more knowledge and understanding and revelation for my life and what, what I wanted to be and who was who I was being and what I was doing in life, some of those things that I believed in in the past didn't fit who I was that day or now today. And so I'm still peeling off these layers of my experience of life and who I say that I am, not just who people tell me that I am. And so it's going to be very important for you to sometimes self-examine. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to tell the truth about ourselves. It's challenging for human beings to tell the truth to ourselves and to other people. So I'm, I'm going to ask you today as you listen to take this journey with me for this next, you know, less than an hour. And let's just let's just have a conversation. Uh, I appreciate you if you're watching on Instagram or TikTok. Again, thank you for tuning and listening in, for taking time out. Whether you watch this live or later, I'm very appreciative for the NBR Network to bring my show here uh, on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1300 uh, Eastern Time. That's 1 p.m. for you civilians out there. Uh, and so let's just get into it, right? So as I share with you, you know, as I transitioned out of the military, even today, I still have a lot of those military mindsets, right? And guess what? They're not going to go away. Like the training that we go through in the military, it becomes a part of who we are as a person. It becomes a part of the fabric of how we think and operate. And what I learned is some of the things that I learned in the military don't work in my in other aspects of my life. They don't. But I had to recognize it. I'm a very analytical person. I can analyze real well, but I had to do that in the military. It's also part of my nature as a person. I ask questions, but when I got in the military, it enhanced that skill. Especially coming up through the ranks, being a platoon sergeant. Like you're responsible for a lot of lives, right? And so being able to analyze and 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 make sure that before those soldiers get to that location, that you've been able to go out there and do a risk assessment, right? It's all about safety, safety first, safety first. So sometimes that didn't work in my other aspects of my life because people will say, man, you analyze everything. Like, why do you analyze so much? But you know what? Instead of resisting that, I owned it. And so I recognize today when it's when it's important to analyze situations and when it's cool for me to just give up my view and my opinion of myself or what people are saying in a conversation. So I have um some a couple of videos I want you to watch and listen to. And just listen to the process of a, a lot of our world, our world beliefs. If you look in the world, where, where are they coming from? A lot of it is a lot of Greek philosophy. A lot of thinking, Plato, Aristotle, like a lot of these laws, a lot of the government systems, even the, democ the democracy is of Greek philosophy. Our country is ran off of dead men's ideas. It's not right or wrong, but if you understand where the beliefs of this country come from, whether you agree with them or not, sometimes when you do that research for yourself, 
you get a better understanding and then you get to see how the world functions and how it navigates and then you can find peace in the world. But you have to be willing to do that work. So this first one is going to be a clip. Uh, just talks about this is this is kind of the space that I've been in the last 13 years, right? When I was in, in my dark space of depression and anxiety and suicide ideation and then being able to find some education and discover that, you know what? Life is, a, is, is not the way that I've been seeing it. Like there's a whole nother aspect of life. There's a whole nother view of life. And my example is, imagine you've been wearing yellow sunglasses. You ever wore tinted sunglasses, like yellow ones? Imagine you've been wearing yellow sunglasses and then one for, for, for say for like 10, 15, 20 years, you've been wearing yellow sunglasses. And then all of a sudden one day you take those yellow sunglasses off and you realize, hey, it's not really that bright outside. And maybe some of the colors that you've been looking at through that yellow tint is a different color. You know, we describe it. People say we're looking at life through different filters, through different lenses. But that's the end result. My question is, where are you? Where, where did those lenses come from? Where did those views come from? And sometimes as you get older, as an adult, you might have to go back and rethink some of those ideas, even about yourself. We're not going to talk about people first. We're going to talk about the interpersonal relationship that it takes to self-examine and discover that who we are or who we say that we are, not of our past. So I'm going to share my screen for those of you who are watching, and I'm going to just pull up this first video. And I want you to just take a listen. I want you to listen to what the conversation is about, the algorithm of the cave. Let's play this right here on the front. Dozier Show. What is reality, knowledge, the meaning of life? Big topics you might tackle figuratively, explaining existence as a journey down a road or across an ocean, a climb, a war, a book, a thread, a game, a window of opportunity, or an all too short-lived flicker of flame. 2,400 years ago, one of history's most famous thinkers said life is like being chained up in a cave forced to watch shadows flitting across a stone wall. Pretty cheery, right? That's actually what Plato suggested in his Allegory of the Cave, found in Book 7 of The Republic, in which the Greek philosopher envisioned the ideal society by examining concepts like justice, truth, and beauty. In the allegory, a group of prisoners have been confined in a cavern since birth with no knowledge of the outside world. They are chained facing a wall, unable to turn their heads, while a fire behind them gives off a faint light. Occasionally, people pass by the fire carrying figures of animals and other objects that cast shadows on the wall. The prisoners name and classify these illusions, believing they're perceiving actual entities. Suddenly, one prisoner is freed and brought outside for the first time. The sunlight hurts his eyes, and he finds the new environment disorienting. When told that the things around him are real, while the shadows were mere reflections, he cannot believe it. The shadows appeared much clearer to him. But gradually, his eyes adjust, 
until he can look at reflections in the water, at objects directly, and finally, at the sun, whose light is the ultimate source of everything he has seen. The prisoner returns to the cave to share his discovery, but he is no longer used to the darkness and has a hard time seeing the shadows on the wall. The other prisoners think the journey has made him stupid and blind and violently resist any attempts to free them. Plato introduces this passage as an analogy of what it's like to be a philosopher trying to educate the public. Most people are not just comfortable in their ignorance, but hostile to anyone who points it out. In fact, the real-life Socrates was sentenced to death by the Athenian government for disrupting the social order, and his student Plato spends much of the Republic disparaging Athenian democracy while promoting rule by philosopher kings. With the cave parable, Plato may be arguing that the masses are too stubborn and ignorant to govern themselves. But the allegory has captured imaginations for 2,400 years because it can be read in far more ways. Importantly, the allegory is connected to the theory of forms developed in Plato's other dialogues, which holds that, like the shadows on the wall, things in the physical world are flawed reflections of ideal forms, such as roundness or beauty. In this way, the cave leads to many fundamental questions, including the origin of knowledge, the problem of representation, and the nature of reality itself. For theologians, the ideal forms exist in the mind of a creator. For philosophers of language viewing the forms as linguistic concepts, the theory illustrates the problem of grouping concrete things under abstract terms. And others still wonder whether we can really know that the things outside the cave are any more real than the shadows. As we go about our lives, can we be confident in what we think we know? Perhaps one day a glimmer of light may punch a hole in your most basic assumptions. Will you break free to struggle towards the light even if it costs you your friends and family? Or stick with comfortable and familiar illusions? Truth or habit? Light or shadow? Hard choices, but if it's any consolation, you're not alone. There are lots of us down here. All right, so that's just one. I got one more for you to watch. Check this one out.
Hey, Varen, can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, there, there's there's like no sound. You can, there, the video's not playing or anything. It is. You can't hear it? No, I can't hear it. You, hit, you have to hit play. I did. It's playing. Hmm, okay. Let me refresh. All right. Again, welcome back. Uh... So as I was sharing about this whole philosophy thing, those are the, some of the videos that I had discovered in my journey of watching and listening and just really kind of developing myself, right? So I had to, at some point, figure out what are my new belief system? What, are, what is my new philosophy? What, are, what else do I, like, what, am I, what do I care about? Like, I really got to figure out who Ferran is today, especially after coming out of the military, especially after being in the service and trying to figure out what is my, what's my, what's next? Because I had made coming out of the military that my life was over. And I really believe that my life was over coming out of the military. Like I truly believe that. And I even collected evidence that my life was over. And then I found radio. I found this education. I started you know, being interested in, in, in my thought process, in my emotions, in my feelings. And as I discovered so much about myself that was just so corrupted, I could tell the truth to myself that some of the thoughts and feelings and emotions that I had just wasn't the truth anymore. And so I had to start looking at how am I going to live, you know, this life today? And so for me, I broke my, I broke my perspectives up into three different categories. Now, some of us look at perspectives, perceptions, and interpretations. None of those are wrong for you. Like, your reality is your reality, but it's your reality. It's not, it may not be the other person's reality because a lot of times how we talk, a lot of times we describe life to the point that how we describe it is the truth. 
but you can have five people looking at that same description and they might describe it from a different perspective of how they view it from their different angle, from how they learn how to describe life and how to talk. That doesn't make anybody wrong. It just allows us to learn from each other, connect to one another, which is what we really want. At the end of the day, human beings, we want to belong. And that sense of belonging is an emotional charge. You're being put on punishment or told to go stand in the corner. Like that is the worst thing you can do to a child. <laughs> is go stand in the corner. Go, you're on punishment. Oh, how about go to jail? Right? When you're excluded from society, from your family, or you feel like you're excluded, it becomes an emotional charge, an emotional wound. And sometimes the way that brain functions, if we don't have all the information, that subconscious mind will fill in the blanks to make it make sense to us. And then now that truth becomes your truth and not the truth that actually happened. And if you're a parent, imagine that that's what's happening to your child at a very young age, early on in age. As adults, imagine we live from those views as adults and we act them out. So that sense of belonging You've got to discover what it is for you. A lot of us don't feel like we're part of our own families. A lot of us feel like we're the black sheep or I don't belong or I'm different. But have you ever stopped to question where those thoughts are coming from? There's work. You heard the word ignorance? I'm an advocate for sickle cell trait. We, I'm, I'm out to disappear the ignorance about that inherited gene. But sometimes you tell, you tell somebody that they're ignorant. Man, you, you might just start a fight with, that's like a curse word if you tell somebody that they're ignorant. But what does ignorant mean? It just means that you have a lack of knowledge. It's not a curse word. It's not a bad thing. But our words, our language is so powerful and our belief system are so strong that it protects us. Ultimately, I don't want to look bad. Even though I know I'm wrong, I don't want to look bad. So I'll be right. Can you tell the truth to yourself like that? I discovered a few times that that's how I was being as a person. Even though I was wrong, I wanted to be right. And I behaved as such. So my first pillar that I live from, I call it my ideology. And and the, I, my for me, ideology is where does my... Where, I had to look and see, where do my thoughts come from? Like, why do I think the way that I think? Why do I want the things that I want? Why do I behave the way that I behave? So I had to go and look for what my ideology was for myself. Here's an example how I describe my ideology. If you play baseball, you might understand this very well. So in, uh, as in baseball, the empire calls that pitch a ball or a strike. No matter what the coach or the pitcher or the fans say that pitch was, it doesn't mean anything until the empire calls it. So the umpire of, the, of a baseball game, when that ball comes across that plate, it does, even once, once it, it gets in that catcher's mitt, that pitch doesn't mean anything until the umpire calls it. 
And if he calls it a ball, it's a ball. If he calls it a strike, it's a strike. No matter what anybody has to say in that stadium, no matter what anybody, the coach, the players, pitcher, nobody gets to say in that pitch once he crosses that plate, but the umpire. So I'm saying imagine if you live your life like the umpire of that baseball game. Imagine that you give meaning to your life, not letting people tell you what it means. That's different. It's allowing people to say, hey, you know what, Fran, you should do this. You should do that. Hey, you know, why, why do you think I should do it like that? What makes you say that? Ask more questions. Let them tell you what they see. You might get some insights. You might find out something that you didn't see. It might be a consequence that they're sharing with you so that you might avoid, you know, being disappointed or being upset or being frustrated in the decision-making process. But what I've learned also is sometimes when people give you their views and their opinions, sometimes it's because they love you, because they care about you. A lot of times our parents just loved us. They wanted the best for us. They wanted to make the corrections. They didn't want their our life to turn out like their life. They wanted to help us navigate these mistakes. But sometimes we want to make our own decisions and our own choices, which is not right or wrong. However, However, what do you make that mean about you? Do you make that mean that you're not good enough, that you're not worth it? See, in your ideology, in your ideas of yourself, not your ideas of other people, but ideas of yourself, what does that mean to you when someone says something? What do you make it mean about you? I had to do that. I had to start at 40 years old. I had to start looking at what life meant to me about me. And some of the things that I even made up about myself wasn't true. And then to be honest enough to tell myself that, hey, you know what? That's not who you are, man. That's not only who you are. Maybe that's who you were back then, but that's not who you are today. And I believe that's very important for us as veterans in this mindset that we have Someone somewhat similar to athletes, like that identity sometimes is attached to who we are. No matter what people do, no matter what they say, I'm, I don't think I'm handsome, but I would have people in my life tell me that I was a handsome guy. And just because they told me that doesn't mean that I believed it, because I had another view of myself. Even today, I, it took me a long time you know, a couple of years to just start to be able to accept compliments. But it was all about how I saw myself first. That's what mattered. I don't care what you say about me. And have you noticed that that, that affects people? You can tell a person you're great, you're doing great, but they'll deflect it with, oh, no, I'm not, you know, they'll they'll deflect that. But why is that? Because maybe there's something in their own view of themselves that disempowers them. That's a feeling of uh, diminishing of themselves. Now, I'm just an advocate for this. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not none of that. I'm not in none of that medical practice, but I'm advocating for, for this kind of a life for our, for our veterans, for our children, for our athletes, for people. And if I discover this for myself, as you saw in those videos, it's possible that you might be able to discover it for yourself.
And imagine we shift that conversation in the world. Our, our houses, our households change, our community changes, our society changes, then the world can change. And if you don't like change, maybe it'll alter. Maybe just altering your behavior just a little bit in one area opens up another way of being for you to be free to express yourself. So my ideology came from cognitive behavior, CBT. Uh, as, as, uh, as veterans, we have access to a lot of mental health programs at the VA. And let me tell you, it took me a lot, it took me some time, but I ended up going to the, the VA and I ended up signing up for the cognitive behavior class. And let me tell you, I'm so glad I did. Because that education, those principles in that CBT, cognitive behavior, it allowed me to ex examine my thoughts how I talk. Sometimes we describe life in such an exaggerated fashion by saying all or none, or I don't trust, or I don't this. And, and it gives you no freedom to look at life another way. Just by how you talk and how you think. But that education from the VA, the kind of behavior, the CBT, uh, taught me how I can grab those thoughts examine them in my head, put them up against something outside of myself and examine those thoughts and look at them for what they are. Is this a constant way that I think? Is this exaggerated? And then I could tell the truth. Then I could tell the truth to myself. And maybe instead of saying all or none, I could say, well, you know, 50% of the time, 60% of the time, 30%. Now I'm putting a different kind of language to it as a percentage because now I can at least be honest with my all, alls or nothings. They're no longer alls or nothings. There's 50% of the time that I don't trust myself. There's 50% of the time I don't trust people. It's not 100. But it depends on you, though. It depends on you. If you're willing to look at your ideology and where your thoughts really come from. And that, that class at the VA helped me tremendously, tremendously. All right? So again, you're tuned into the Ferrandose Show, MBR Network. Uh, I really appreciate you. This is my second episode here. Uh, I'm going to play a couple of public service announcements for you, and then I'll get back into the second half of the show to wrap up my ideologies and just kind of give you a sense of of what I'm, what else I'm up to uh, when I'm not here on the air with you. Uh, this is the Ferrandoze Show on KCA Radio, uh, NBR Radio as well. You're listening to the Ferrandoze Show on KCAA Radio, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM in the Inland Empire. Also streaming from the KCAARadio.com website, NBR Radio, TuneIn Radio, Pandora, Google Play, Blog Talk Radio, iHeart Radio, Podcast, Stitcher. Amazon Radio, just to list a few. Oh yeah, and the streaming videos are located at Tiki Live or Rumble under the Ferran Dozier Show. Catch us live or catch us on the archives at Ferran Dozier Show. Shout us out what's to count. Visit FerranD.com for more information. Some of us still carry the burden of battle. It threatens to drown us in our everyday lives. In battle, we had our weapons and combat gear to keep us safe, to keep us confident. But 
When we returned home, we were not armed with weapons and gear to cope with our own minds. I was lucky to find my combat gear, my mental weapon, and it's called Comigo. Comigo is a drug-free device that allows you to achieve calm in less than three minutes. In moments of anxiety, stress, anger, panic, or insomnia, not with medication, but rather by activating the parasympathetic nervous system through breathing regulation and multisensory stimulation. A recent study has shown that Comigo decreases PTSD and anxiety levels in veterans, helping those who are suffering and having a long-lasting effect. Visit Comigo.com to learn how you can get Comigo through the VA or with a special veteran's discount code. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm blessed, my brother. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Hey, did you see the game last night? Oh, that was a real game. But did you see the shot? I lost money from that oh, shot. Oh, man, that shot was cold, I man. I it, but it was good. Damn. What's in those jeans? Mm. You really want to know? I do. Exhaustion, muscle spasm, asthmatic issues, unexpected sickle cell trait crises. Damn, are you serious? When I was young, I found out I had sickle cell trait. My moms told me, but I didn't have no knowledge of it. But when I got older, I had a child, and the doctor told me my daughter has sickle cell trait. Do you know the facts that both parents have sickle cell trait? There's a 50% chance the child may have the trait, and 25% chance the child may have the disease. Hey, that's what's the count. Do you know that 2.5 million people in the United States have sickle cell trait? 300 million people globally? I didn't find out I had sickle cell trait until I was in the Army 10 years. Next thing you know, I had a sickle cell trait exertion type. Sickle cell? I thought that was a black gen or something. Nah, man, the Latin community is number two. One out of 36,000 babies are being born with sickle cell disease. You could be Caucasian, Mediterranean, European. You gotta know your bloodline, man. There is an inherited gene in our community that has been forgotten. The name is sickle cell trait. WDCONSCT, also known as What's the Count, is out to bring awareness, education, and prevention to people all over the globe. Want more information? Call us now at 323-215-5384 or visit www.wdconsct.org. Zotobia salve, made from natural and organic ingredients, good for inflammation, poor circulation, hemorrhoids, yeast infection, lip sores, dry coughs, eye pain, minor cuts and bruises, and ready to purchase at BotanicaHerbalCO.com. B-O-T-A-N-I-C-A-H-E-R-B-A-L-C-O.com. BotanicaHerbalCO.com. Um, so I had an opportunity to meet Dr. Sabi um, in 2013. I actually sat right next to him. Um, and that's one of his products that I use, that, that salve. And so Dr. Sabi, man, talk about some knowledge. Uh, he just found ways to use those herbs. And uh, he cured a lot of people uh, from a lot of different diseases. And I had an opportunity to sit next to him and talk to him about sickle cell trait and sickle cell disease. And he just opened up with a whole bunch of other 
conversations about diseases and just how the body functions. So it's so important for us to take care of our health. Um, and as well with Comigo, I use that device. Here's my device right here. Um, I don't want to take any medications. I don't want to do, I took, I took drugs before and I just felt like a zombie and I just did not want to uh, live my life like that. I knew I had some mental toughness. Like I, I played basketball, so I knew I had some, some mental toughness in there, but this, this transition out of the military was a little bit different than I had ever experienced before in my life. And, um, I just didn't want to walk around like a zombie of how I felt. So, um, I took education, um, and then recently I found Comigo a couple of years back now, about a year or so ago. And so I believe in those products that I share. So let's get back to this philosophy. Uh, so we talked about our ideology. If you're just tuning in, uh, make sure you watch the repeat of this. Uh, as I'm sharing with you the three pillars that, I'm, that I live my life from up against. So now I challenge my thought process up against those cognitive behavior principles that I learned. And I'm always looking for the exaggerated thoughts that I have because a lot of my thoughts are exaggerated. And, and and they're so exaggerated that I won't even take an action because I'll end up being like, like, why bother? Because of how I think about myself. And then you project that on other people. So my philosophy, here's my philosophy. <laughs> it says that a plane in autopilot self-corrects. Now, if you know airplanes, you've been on an airplane, they can put that bad boy in autopilot, right? So a plane in autopilot self-corrects. It's never on course. Live life like the autocorrecting system. Live life like the autocorrecting system of the airplane that self-corrects that's never on course. Sometimes in life, you are just, we're not on course. Sometimes we're thinking and we're doing behaviors and we're not on course. But what are you using your, your, your belief system up against outside of how you feel and think and concerns and worries about life? What are you challenging those up against outside of you to get back on course? Like that's a different way to live. Yeah, you, you have the right to do and be whatever you want to be. Nobody is anything against that. But if you do that and you be that kind of person and you go home and you're still questioning who you are as a person and you're questioning your behavior or you're questioning why you feel you're not being fulfilled or you feel diminished of yourself. Some of us do that. I still manage these things today. I'm not it's not a cure. Sometimes these are going to be these are lifelong journeys. But if you don't start to interrupt your thought process and really challenge how you think and look at life, some people never discover it. And some people people die lost or that experience of being lost or stuck. So my philosophy is a plane in autopilot self-corrects. It's never on course. Live life like the autocorrecting system. And I found that to be an education, personal development course. And so at 40 years old, when I took that education, I challenged up, I challenged everything that I could think of at that class. And I discovered that maybe there was some of my beliefs that was just so wrong. I grew up thinking that I was abandoned. A lot of us feel like we've been abandoned by our parents, by situations. 
and and we have evidence. We got proof. I had enough proof to think that I was abandoned. But guess what? 40 years, 35, 38 years later, I realized that that just not, was not a true statement. It wasn't a true story. And the thoughts of what a what an eight-year-old, see, check this out. An eight-year-old has really no sense of time. No sense of time. So being at home for 90 minutes by myself after school for an eight-year-old felt like 20 hours. And the way that I shared that with my psychologist, he was like, I would have called the CPS on your parents. The way that you told this story to me in the beginning. Because the way that I described that story, how I thought about it, how it made me feel, who I had to be to survive that abandonment. Do you know what kind of person people become to survive being abandoned? Ex the experience of it, if it's true to them? Just look in the world. Just look in how people behave. Some people grew up, you know, fast. We had to become adults at 12, 13 years old, taking care of our siblings because our parents had to work. That wasn't mine. I was the oldest, so I had to come home by myself. So my abandonment was a little bit different. But some people even who had to raise their siblings, there's some resentment. There's some upset there because they feel like they missed out on their childhood, that they had to do all these responsible things as, an, as adults did as a child. And then you carry that. And then you walk around with that on your in the background of your thought process. How does that affect you? So I had to go and figure out another figure out how my belief system was working and my philosophy was corrupted. It was truly corrupt. I could tell you the truth that it was corrupted. My perceptions, my interpretations, my perspectives up against that education, it challenged. And there were some things that I said that, okay, I can't, I can't even believe that anymore. Like, I can't even believe that about myself anymore. I can't believe that about my mom, about my dad, about my friends. Like, I can't believe that anymore. But I was 40. The confidence and the courage it took to then to tell the truth about my thoughts, my deepest Secrets and emotions about how I view life. Guess what? I had to tell the truth. By the way, hey, I've been that that I've got some stories that's not true, and I've got to make the corrections. I had to go back and do damage control because it did impact people in my life. And so, how can how can we move forward in life if we're still carrying some of these emotions, these feelings, these just corrupted truths? That may not be the truth about who you are as a person. It takes something to not to try to not look bad, to look good, to be accepted, to be liked, to be loved, to be friends with people. Guess what? Everybody's not gonna like you, they're not gonna love you, they're not gonna be wanna be your friend, everybody's not gonna want to talk to you. That's just that's that's life. But to be confident enough to say, oh, it's okay. You don't want to be my friend. It's okay. But at an early age, imagine we could teach this to our children early so that this these social issues that we're dealing with, they don't get impacted by it. The self-reliance, the self-esteem, the self-love, the self-courage. I'm rebuilding all that at 53. 
I'm rebuilding my own self-esteem. My own self-love. The last three years. My own self-confidence. Like no one's going to fill that void. Only you can fill those voids. And it's going to take something outside of yourself. And those are the kind of talks we're going to have here. If you want your comedy specials and all that, you can watch that wherever you get that from. But like those conversations on those videos, I'm just not going to leave people in the dark. I'll make it fun and as light as possible. But this is real life. A veteran takes their life every 65 minutes. I don't see anything funny about that. So someone has to have these tough conversations with some love and compassion, some listening. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to be that kind of person. Then we can go watch some comedy somewhere else. But people's lives are at stake. People's families. People's relationships. That sense of belonging is important. And no one is going to feel that emptiness inside of you. No one can fill that void. If they do, it's temporary. And as soon as they're not doing it, then it's gone. And guess what? That person can never fill that void. That spouse, that girlfriend, that boyfriend can never fill that void every day, every moment. They couldn't do it enough. They couldn't call you enough. They couldn't say I love you enough because one day they're not going to say it and then you're going to bring it up. Like Those are the voids that we have. And we can make those corrections if you're willing to look at it. So that's my philosophy. My theology. Now, I grew up in church, Baptist, however you want to call it. Um, received the Holy Spirit at a very young age, at 16, but I didn't know what that was. I was speaking in tongues, but I didn't know what that was. There was just some, some missing conversations that I didn't have. Grew up in church as a child. My grand, my grandfather was a, a reverend, a pastor. My mom is a minister. My everybody went to church in my family. And then at some point, I walked away because I just felt like it was too perfect, and I couldn't keep up with that. Like I couldn't handle it. I couldn't be that kind of a person. However, <laughs> as I got older, and I started, you know, dealing to doing this work. And these three pillars, my ideology, my philosophy, and then I had to take a look at my theology. Like, what do I believe in spiritually? Your mind is going to go, your spirit is going to go to something. Tarot cards, crystals, biblical principles, something. Your spirit is going to look for something to attach itself to, to feed that spirit. And I'm not here to judge you, to tell you what's right or wrong or good or bad. That's not my place. But it's up to you to figure out what that belief is. And there's so much in the world today that wars are started because of religious stuff, religious conversations. It's a very tough conversation to have in the world. But I had to do my own work. I had to figure out what my own theology was for Faran. And so I did. I went back and I started looking at the Bible for myself, I started looking up, looking at God and reading about God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit for myself. And guess what? For me, I found peace in that. 
I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe in those, all three of those, then I'm, I'm okay. I'm not here to judge you for that. I'll just ask more questions. I find out, well, how did you learn about your belief? Your religion. How did you learn about that religion? Sometimes that religion is influenced on us because of our parents. Even to the point that if you don't follow that religion, that Joe disowned you as a child. Like, there's a lot of pressure that comes with religious conversations. But I found, you know, God for myself, not for what my mom has to say, my dad. No, I had to find God for Faran. And so this is my phrase for my theology. So as much as we are told we are social beings in the, in the human experience, right? So as much as we are told that we are social beings in the human experience, because we are social. Human beings are social beings. We want to belong. We want to connect. Like that is what the human being experience is. We are social beings. Now, the second part of this is where it gets a different look. So it says, as much as we are told we are social beings in the human experience, the spirit, the spirit has an additional conversation about this walk that can be alone from man, but present with God. The spirit has an additional conversation about this walk that can be alone from man, but present with God. And that's the challenge. We're social beings, but your relationship with your with God is on your own. And you've got to discover that for yourself. You've got to figure that out for yourself. And that's going to be the work. So in this philosophy, in my theology, in my ideology, I had to figure out what my three pillars were for myself. I was able to do that. And now I've found peace. I'm still alive. I'm here in front of you being able to share this. Before all that, I was lost and life was done. It was over. But today, no. Today, no. I have the confidence. I have some confidence in certain areas now. I've developed my self-love. I've developed my self-esteem. I've, I've, I've got courage. I've always had, I had courage in the military, but why didn't I have courage in my what I call my personal life? Because I had those separate. But I'm the common denominator in all of it when I show up. In my personal life, in my military background, in my whatever, my as a father, as a grandfather, as a, as whichever life, I'm still, it's still me. It's still you when you show up. Who are you? And not what you do in life, but who you be in life. It's about the human being experience. And so who I get to be is that others find their greatness through my self-expression and that others discover their peace through language as I demonstrate self-forgiveness. Like that's who I get to be when I show up. What I get to be in life as an activity is I'm a sickle cell trade advocate. I have a lot of conversation. I have a lot of shows that I do. Uh, let me play. Let me. So I, I'm on this. I have a sports show. So let me pull up um, some of these tabs that I want to share with you before we get out of here. I'm going to share my screen. Those that you are watching, uh, this is my sports show. Uh, I'm on the air Sundays at 8 p.m. on KCA Radio. This is a sports collective, uh, sports collective media. Uh, I have different interviews 
where we talk to athletes from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, professional, young athletes, uh, men, women. Uh, we have all different types of conversations. Let's play this one right here. Is Malia Nahos? And where are you from? Um, from Brenna Park. Buena Park. Yes. Uh, she is our one of our in-studio guests tonight, ladies and gentlemen, as we'll be talking about a Chasing Hoop Dream segment around some mental toughness. So she'll be in the zone Ooh. with Robert Lamar. Uh, if Coach Will shows up, he'll, he'll be, be he'll be here. There. He'll be here. Oh, man. I trust it. But hey, let's, let's get into it, man. We got It is nice to have an in-studio guest. Yes. We value in-studio guests more than anything <laughs> here. Because it's like, you know, we get the presence of like, you know, everybody getting to see, you know, you and you get the to hear your story and everything. So thank you for being, you know, on deck today. We really appreciate you being here. Shout out to happy. your moms and your sister for bringing you out. Yeah, that's I appreciate that. the family. So let's get into it. Yeah. So um, just give us some background of your basketball experiences. Um, yeah, I've been playing basketball since second grade. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I went my freshman year. I'm actually from Santa Barbara County, okay. so my freshman year I played in Santa Maria, and oh. um, I went through some challenges there with the coaching and the team, and that really, um, it really just took something on my mental health yeah and so like it was even at the point where i was just didn't know if i still wanted to play basketball oh, question it. um yeah questioning it so um but and i was between like i didn't know if i wanted if just the team wasn't the right move for me or if i wanted to transfer if i wanted to just pull mm. through it um i ended up transferring and we ended up um my club team that i played during the summer it was it was down here um, in Orange County, and mm -hmm. so me and my dad would drive like three and a half, four wow. hours every weekend um, for practices. Wow! And then in the summer, um, so we ended up probably last summer we ended up just moving just down moving here. Down. Yeah, it was better for my family. Um, who who influenced the whole basketball conversation at such a young age? Um. My dad, he put me into, we're, we're a sports family, so okay. he put me into a lot of sports. I played um, volleyball, softball, soccer. I tried everything, basketball, but basketball just kind of always stuck with me. Um, Rob? I mean, Central Coast to down here, that's a yeah. dramatic difference, right? Yeah, do yeah, you, for do, sure. Do you miss the weather up there? I do, yeah, and I miss, we were really close to the beach. Yeah. I miss that. Yeah, there's no ocean around here, which yeah. kind of sucks. But, um, yeah. you you know, you said you tried everything, mm -hmm. and then, you know, basketball, you kind of, like, you know, fell into that to the point where that's, like, your, you know, your number one squeeze. Yeah. If you can go back, do you think that, like, if you would apply a little bit more into other sports, you think you would have, like, ended up there instead of basketball, or just basketball is what really was where your heart was at from the beginning? Um. So that's where you can catch us um, on Sunday nights. Uh, also have a show today, actually, uh, Beyond 2D is where we have a conversation about just the different dynamics of life experiences, different conversation about life, accountability, uh, being responsible. Uh, we're starting our second season around uh, grief. And so we're going to do four episodes about grief. And that's today um, also at 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, 6 p.m. Uh, East Coast. So again, thank you for today. I hope that something I've said 
was able to help, you know, you to look in your life and kind of figure out where you are, right? To figure out what you want, who you are, what you want to be up to, to about life. So I thank you for today, and I will be back again uh, next Tuesday. Shout us out what's the count? Ferrandi.com, the Ferrandosier Show.com. Shout out to NBR Network. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.